You are listening to Get Real Podcast. All right. So, Dan, we're going to continue to talk about the prophetic arts. When we talk about the prophetic arts, what we've talked about a lot up till this point in time is we've talked a lot about music. But the prophetic arts includes other things just besides music. It includes podcasting, can even include the use of social media. It can include painting. It can include drawing. And it also includes writing. Yes. So we're going to do something a little bit different today is we're going to talk to somebody who's in the midst of using her gifting of writing, writing a novel, something that I couldn't do because I am just not good at character <laughs> development at all. Okay. It's just not going to work. But we're going to talk to Danielle Wolf. She is in the middle of writing a book. And we have Danielle on the line with us. She's been doing some really intense social media right now. And this is how I found and met Danielle was through Instagram. And for those of you that follow Instagram and follow us, Lithos Cry, you've probably seen and on Facebook as well, some posts from somebody known as the Living Dead Girl. And that's who we have on the line with us is Danielle Wolf, the Living Dead Girl. Hello, Danielle. Hi. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. We are so excited to have you here. I was very impressed by the writing, the samples of the writing that you put on Instagram, some snippets from your book, and just the things that you write about Jesus. I was like, we've got to get this person on because there is such a gifting of writing there that is just very eloquent, uh, very romantic, I would I would say. Can you tell us a little bit about the book that you're writing? What is What is this project? And I know that you're prepping people on social media that there's a book coming. Can you tell us a little bit about this book? I guess I can say... For short, the book is going to be a young adult um, romance novel. It's around uh, 50,000 words. At least that's my goal. I'm around like 45K uh, right now. But the book is basically carrying a message of light in the darkness and the light of Christ piercing through the darkness. Um, it has a lot of themes on vampirism the vampire clans that are reality and then it also has themes on uh, suicide and cutting which is I know something that many young adult women deal with um, as well as depression and it's just a story about a girl who is dealing with all these things and she's searching for true love and she ends up finding Christ at the end of the story that's not too much of a spoiler I hope <laughs> but um, she ends up finding Christ and finding basically true love in Christ. Currently, right now, you have two titles, two possible titles for the book. Uh, what are those two titles that you're considering right now? And which one are you leaning towards? Um, honestly, I am leaning towards The Living Dead Girl, um, just because that was the original title I thought of around seven or eight years ago when I first, you know, was coming up with different titles. I've thought of Immortal Love, but... I really am kind of leading, you know, towards more of the living dead girl simply because a lot of the theme in the book is about her desire to die, her desire to be immortal um, and to live eternally. And when you find Christ, you in a sense find that. You find, you know, eternal life. You find immortality uh, because John 3.16 says that 
whoever puts their belief and trust in them, they live forever. And in a sense, when we become Christians, we we are in a sense living dead. <laughs> That's good. That is true. I like that. I yeah. like that. I'm a, Dan. You're living dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are the night. We are the night of the living dead. Turn off AMC yeah. TV right here. Get real podcast. Ratings now going to go through the roof. I can see it now. I can see it now. Danielle, let me let me ask you real quick. Is writing something that you did uh, like in in school and you really enjoyed it then, or is it kind of a new passion for you? It's something that I started doing when I was 13 years old, actually, around the time whenever, I mean, I'll go into this later, but I started writing poetry when I was 13 years old, and I was a major book nerd, (laughs) and I started writing short stories all throughout my teen years in poetry. I literally used to write a poem every single day when Mm. I was a teenager. Oh, wow. So it's an old passion, but I dropped it for a while. And so it's kind of like a reawakened passion. And for our listeners, this is something that's just stirring in me right now. A lot of people that are believers struggle with, what's my calling? What what have I been called to do? Well, let's boil it down to this and where Danielle's at for everybody. Pursue your passion. Go back to the things that were put, all those gifts that God gave us, were things that he knit in our DNA even before we were born. He conceived it. So like Garfield, for example, his passion would be lasagna. lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> so what if my passion is uh, lasagna? Dan, you, some know, very you, spiritual, you, you, yeah. you know one of my passions. Cheeseburgers. There are some people with the passion of food out there. So to fully understand the book and and the whole concept of this, I want to hop in the get real time machine with you and go back to your testimony. One of the things that Dan and I have pointed out in some of our previous podcasts about logos is that salvation is not this neat little package with a bow on it. It's an ugly process. Miracles are ugly. And your testimony is just amazing to me the things that the the little pit stops that you made on the way to christ are not something that are what i would say are church approved stops that that you made can you share with us your testimony and i really believe that your testimony is going to help people understand where you're coming from with this book and that gives you the authority to speak about these things in the the book yeah you're so right about my testimony not being a pretty one (laughs) And I would say it wouldn't be a cookie-cutter Christianity testimony for sure. And I would say when I was 18 years old, I did encounter God in a radical way. Not that everything was fixed that moment. A lot of things were fixed that moment. But I know my inner heart was fixed that moment. But my soul, you know, my mind, will, and emotions weren't, you know all fixed and everything wasn't perfect you know from the get-go but I can say before I was born again I I mean I was raised in the church um, but I developed a I guess I would go ahead and say a hatred for church and religion and I never hated God I didn't have that feeling of hatred towards God but I did hate church and religion and <laughs> just the mundane you know churchianity And I could say, like, when I was 13 years old, like, what I said earlier, 
when I um, I started writing, I also started reading a lot. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really got into when I was 13 years old was paranormal romance or vampire novels. And around that time as well, when I was 13, my parents also separated. Uh, we moved to another state uh, with my mom. And she also had just gotten over breast cancer at that time. So it was just a very shifting time in my life and I read a vampire novel which I won't name because I love the author I love mm-hmm. you know every single person you know who writes that stuff I have a love for them um, but I read the novel and it just it changed my life honestly in a negative way I know it doesn't have that effect on everybody but when I read it and I was you know a 13 year old girl uh, longing for love, longing for something that was real, because I had seen, you know, church and church people, and I didn't see anything real. I didn't see love. I didn't see, you know, Jesus. I had an idea of Jesus, and I thought, you know, I saw something real with that, but I just couldn't connect to that. But when I read that vampire novel, I could connect to that. Daniel, uh, I saw. Can you yes. point out uh, when you mentioned church, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I really wanted to get some more oh, detail. No, okay. The things that were in church that turned you off or bothered you, or can you elaborate on, was there specific things? Was it hypocrisy? Was it just boring and you had a creative mind that, that wanted more stimulation? What, what was it about, about that experience? Because you're not alone. I mean, Tons of people are that yeah. way. <laughs> I can say as a child, I don't understand this, you know, maybe it was just me, but as a child, I feared going to children's church. My mom was a children's pastor, and I feared going there just because, I guess because I've always been introverted, kind of a loner, I did not like being around other children as much as, I guess, a normal child would, (laughs) but there was that, and then... Uh, the second thing was, I guess I could say there was just no power. And then I also, I did see hypocrisy um, in my own family, you know, not to point fingers or anything like that. Just in my my close-knit family life, you know, go to church, look good, look a certain way, but you go home and it's a completely different story. Mm. And And then I would also say the third thing, which is, I know isn't a problem as much in the church now, but was when I was younger and when I was, you know, developing an interest in the gothic subculture, um, the youth group that I was forced to go to, oh my gosh, I was like the oddball because I was going in there wearing, you know, fishnet stockings and combat (laughs) boots and I was judged so much. I was judged so much. Wow. And part of my heart, I guess, you know, for church or for ministry is that no matter what a person looks like physically, like tattoos or piercings or, or even if they just want to wear Hollister shirts, you know, they shouldn't be judged for the way they look. And that was another thing that really turned me off is, you know, the judgment, um, no love, hypocrisy, and then also just no power, like, you know, a lot of rules, but no power and nothing real. That's and interesting you bring that up about the lack of power. Satan has done a very good job, I believe, at making the church very weak with hypocrisy, 
with rules, with regulations that have nothing to do yeah. with the Bible. And it drives people to seek things with power. So when they see things like the occult, when they see vampirism, when they see witchcraft, it's like, oh, well, there's power over there, but there's not here. This is just a bunch of old stodgy people with a bunch of rules and regulations that are silly. I'm going to go where the power is at. And I, I believe that's a trap. Uh, would you agree with that, Danielle? Definitely. Actually, one of the things I was going to say that I dove into right after reading that book, which is something I actually was kind of seeking out even before reading the book, was I just dove into doing Wiccan spells, and I loved the thought of the power in that, you know, that it would be something real, something that you can actually tap into, you know, talking to demons and things like that. Oh, that was more real than, you know, going to church and you know, singing hymns out of a book and hearing a a sermon that was just three points in a poem, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I definitely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. And this started for you, this interest in the occult, going back in your testimony a little bit, this started when you read that vampire book, correct? The vampire romance yes. really got you. And it's interesting that you said that that doesn't affect everybody. I have I have a vampire testimony myself. My wife took me to go see what was um, what was that movie? The um, um, Twilight. Twilight. Yes, yes. She she <laughs> took me to go see the. Yeah, that's how much it impressed me. Um, it took me to go see the third installment on our anniversary. We were in Georgia on a trip, and we went to go see it an afternoon matinee. And all I remember about that movie is the opening credits and the closing credits. <laughs> I slept through the entire movie. So it had zero effect on me. Well, it did. It, put, it was like a giant <laughs> Salmonex movie. Um, <laughs> you remember Professor Salmonex? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it, had, it didn't take root in me. And... What I think I'm seeing here is because you had so much going on in your life with the divorce of your of your parents and the, the search for love, that probably there, that made a place for you to be open for that. Would, would that be correct to say that? Oh, definitely. I mean, I would say, like, my book is mostly targeted to young adult and preteen girls because they are in that place. Like, even if they don't have chaotic things going in their life they they really are susceptible to um things like that because they are longing for love they're trying to find where they are in the world and so i would definitely say that that's what started it for sure growing up is rough and yeah. for some reason, it's gotten rougher. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, and divorce. I divorce, mean, it's... Well, you know, I, I think about even some of the the heavy metal that we like and the, even the whole gothic scene. And it's kind of, um, you know, when you think about looking at life, we were joking last week or whenever we did the other one about the uh, precious moments. Yes. You know, the whole idealistic, cheery viewpoint. And when a young you know, girl is in a lonely, powerless position, parents fighting or leaving and, and uh, mom struggling with cancer and all the different things are growing up, all the hormone, everything that's happening. It, it's not necessarily that cheery. So the yeah. whole death obsession or the whole attraction to things about death or darkness or even 
entering into the demonic, she said it, it's more real than outward stuffy self-righteousness. And so, no, that's, that's, that's intriguing. Please continue. Yeah. I mean, you're so right about that. I even have a, I had a precious moments Bible when I was a child. (laughs) That's it. That was the, that was the opening right there. It was not the vampire novel. It was the precious moments. Exactly. It pushed you towards God. And so it does have the perfect pictures of what the things that should be. And it's funny because when I read that novel, I saw the perfect guy that would perfectly love me and perfectly romance me. And, you know, the main character, uh, she was a gothic girl character, and she was awesome and strong and confident, and she knew what she wanted. So, of course, after reading that book, honestly, I wanted to have that guy. So I became the character in that book I became gothic I dressed a certain way I got delved into witchcraft and all kinds of different things and I didn't do this intentionally but I soon after started you know also self-harming and cutting myself and um, I also started binging and then that led to anorexia and pretty much an eating disorder I had up until I got born again when I was 18 years old but it just it just opened up a whole world of chaos um, because from the time I was 14 until I was about 18 I had been to pretty much several rehabs several um, you know homes or not really homes but um, I'd been to several different rehabs for uh, drug addiction eating disorder cutting and I tried to commit suicide when I was like 14 years old, uh, ended up being in the hospital, getting my stomach pumped. It's just a crazy story. Question, uh, question. But I can say, thankfully, I did get born again when I was 18. I didn't realize that that part that had started when I was 13 years old wasn't completely resolved. When I About a year and a half after I got born again, um, I encountered um, just the presence of God in a strong way. And I went through a deliverance that was not expected at all. I was leaving uh, the church that I was going to at the time. I was leaving the church, and the presence of God just really encountered me. And I fell to my knees, and I said, all I could say was, he's hurting me, which I didn't understand why I said that. I didn't understand why I said that phrase. I just said, he's hurting me, and then started all these voices and guttural voices, just screams started coming out of my mouth and my, I was, I just didn't know what was going on (laughs) at the time. I didn't know that I, you know, you didn't, you don't think about like, you know, demons being, I don't know, it was pretty much like, almost like the exorcist except for my head didn't spin around and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask you, when, when you opened up to witchcraft and then it seemed like all of a sudden things negative areas in your life accelerated a torment accelerated the cutting did you find anything like did when you open yourself up in in the witchcraft dabbling with spells and so forth did you sense an empowerment did you sense anything or did just life really start to get weird and more tormented i mean usually there is that acceleration that happens and then you went all the way to the the deliverance part of it but what did you feel when you first started dabbling 
I did feel a sense of power. Uh, nothing really happened from my spells, but I did feel a sense of power, and I did feel darkness. I did feel a darkness and a separation. And then as the years progressed, I knew, I thought like I was a Christian still, but I knew that I was talking to demons. I knew that demons were actually using me to write poetry and to write certain things. And I did have like, I don't know, I guess I could say like, I, I would almost like you pray to God, I would like talk to these demons hmm. and stuff. Um, I don't even really think about that kind of stuff anymore. It's kind of crazy. Just the, how amazing God can take you from that place to where I'm at now. It's just insane. <laughs> well, Danielle, f- for our listeners, Glenn and I would like to clarify there's, there's demons are real. Yes. And here's the what I glean from Scripture. I may be off, but remember when the uh, gathering demoniac mm-hmm. and the Lord cast the devils out of him and yes. then they beg him to be able to go into the pigs. Yes. And it's like, I've heard theories that they were disembodied, um, like Nephilim or giants that that died in the flood, and then all these spirits are roaming around, they want a body. But I do know that scripturally, we can glean that they really do go through those those dry places, thirsting, and they really want to inhabit a body. And when people dabble, if you're a, a young person and you're dabbling or somebody, hey, it's just a Ouija board, it's a game, it's no big deal. When you actually go into some sort of passive state, passivity is very sexy for devils, okay? Mm -hmm. They want to be able to have a body, control a body. It's what they lost, right? Mm -hmm. And so when young people or anybody goes into a situation where you open yourself up to dark darkness and spirits, it's very, it's like, okay, you wouldn't put on lingerie. I know you wouldn't. Hopefully, no. But you wouldn't no, put no. that on to go to to go and uh, walk through a crowded construction site with a bunch of burly construction workers. If you're a young lady, right? You, you would that would attract all the attention in the world. That's what you do when you dabble. When you start getting involved in in things, messing with a Ouija board. Oh, it's not a joke. You do that, and they look at you going like, yeah, that's... that's it's prime, that, prime that's, pickings over there. It is, and you attract attention yeah. from forces of darkness that you don't even acknowledge are there. I have a question, Daniel. You talked about that you experienced darkness at that time that you started dabbling. When you were experiencing that darkness, did you feel frightened at all about the darkness that you were experiencing? Did it frighten you? Did you have feelings of fear, waves of fear, anything like that? No, not really. It's kind of funny because actually I would say, I mean, I've actually had to fight fear more as a born-again Christian than whenever I, you know, was in that stuff. Because I think, I I actually was thinking of this earlier today, you know, many times before you are born again, you can be fearless in a sense um, because the demons, you know, in a sense kind of cradle you, I think. They would love mm. for you to think that they're good and think that what you're experiencing is good instead of being fearful they want you to like them and to feel comfort with them mm. like um, an angel of light so. yeah yes they're sed- like seducing seducing yes very very seducing well danielle has provided us with a sample of her writing from the book that i want our listeners to get a preview of to see what's coming because this this young lady is extremely extremely 
talented and that God has seen her through all of this that she's been through and she's at where she's now is now and is using these giftings to glorify God. I want God to be glorified in what they're about to hear that Danielle has written. And after we take a quick listen to this, we're going to ask her about the writing process because I'm fascinated by that process, having written a book myself. But again, as I said, I can't write fiction. It, it just can't happen. So let's take a quick listen to an excerpt from the book coming forth, The Living Dead Girl from Danielle Wolf. Blood dropped off my hands and feet. The war had been conquered. The battle of my love for her brought me here. As my eyes peered among the gravestones, I saw just a sea of desperate souls. The eternal flame consumed them all. Even then, he didn't realize the flame was my love. A soft dew caressed the ground, the only light above reflecting upon it, the moon hanging over the midnight sky. Stepping forward, the grass made a synonymous crunching sound. I tied my steed to the tree next to me to begin my search. My body, piercing through the thick fog permeating the desolate graveyard, I walked among the graves, searching for the one I came for. The vast maze of tombstones, endless leagues of death before me. Despite the millions, prodding in their graves, my heart longed for her alone. The pain that I went through to get here, she was worth it all. Ignoring the weariness of my own body, the aftermath of the war, I trudged through the graveyard still, my breath heavy, reflected with the cold air surrounding me. Then, a sense of electricity, a wave of love, the one before me was under the willow tree, I turned towards that tree. My eyes beheld the beauty that only she could emanate. Willow leaves swayed in the shallow wind as I approached a singular tombstone. Her body laid upon it. I recognized the fairness of her, my beloved bride. Time was my only enemy, as I had waited for what seemed to be an eternity. Danielle. That excerpt that we just listened to, the imagery in there, I mean, that is just dripping with imagery. It feels like that I was in the graveyard. I get the parallels between Christ and the bride and how that that is just so wonderfully written. I'm just going to ask the question, how do you do that? I'm just going to just simply ask, how do you do that? How, how does that happen? Lasagna. Lasagna. Honestly. <laughs> I honestly feel humbled by you even saying anything like you just said, because I guess I think every single writer understands it, and I'm sure you understand this as well. You don't feel like <laughs> it's amazing, um, but I can say like there is one thing that I can say is the essential thing that has helped me to write that and then write everything, and I'm like, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God's presence. Honestly, I cannot tell you how many times I've prayed and I continue to pray. And I look at, you know, people like George R. R. Martin or even Stephanie Meyer, and I say, God, if you can, I mean, or if these demons, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but mm -hmm. if demonic powers or influences can cause people in the world to have this creative ability. Holy Spirit, how much more can you do that? How much more can you empower me to write and have a creative ability to write? And I always pray, God, anoint 
my writing, anoint every single word that I type. God, just be here with me. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think it. I would be able to write anything if it weren't for God. That's, that's um, <clears throat> I guess I can sum it up and make it as simple as that. <laughs> That is really neat. And you said earlier that this had been something that had been stirring in you for about seven years before you actually started the project? Yes, actually, I can go in a little bit of a pre-story of how I even got the idea. Okay. It was from God. Um, after I was born again, I did go through that deliverance, but soon after that, um, the devil put another fast one on me, and I ended up in a, an abusive relationship with a man who honestly was very much like the vampire character in the book. Um, he was tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> he, he was gothic, you know, he had a little bit of money, and I was about 20, 21, I think it was 20 years old when this was happening, and he just swept me off my feet very fast, um, and I even used some of the inspiration of my book there's situations that actually happened to me in real life that okay. I've written um, in the book and with the main character and a man who does, in a sense, sweep the main character off of her feet. Um, but I would say I broke up with that guy soon after we were engaged and I was in a place where a lot of my friends had kind of just gone off the deep end. I broke up with him. And I was in a place of just seeking God in an intense way. I would go to work and come home and read the Bible. And I read the Old Testament in one month. And I would just pray. And during that time, I just had a vision of exactly what the excerpt was just then. It was a knight in shining armor going to a graveyard to save his bride. And I knew that that was Christ. Um, how he, when he died on the cross, he, he in a sense became low. He fought a battle. Yeah. <clears throat> he became low, and he um, fought a war, and he was coming to. He came to rescue us from our sin, which was death, hell, and the grave. Like that was the consequence of our sin, and so that's all a depiction of that. And that's what you read was the original. I actually wrote that. I mean, I've updated it, but I wrote that scene eight years ago, and that was all I had for about seven or eight years. Wow. Up until, up until uh, July of last year, that was all I had. <laughs> wow. So. So what were some of the obstacles that were real or maybe perceived that kind of hindered you from pursuing this project when it first started to gestate? seven years ago? I would say the main thing, and I would honestly say it's the only thing, is trying to live out a vision that wasn't for me, that wasn't God's vision for me. I was trying to live out a vision that someone else had for me instead of myself. So I want to encourage anybody who's out there, you know, I do believe it was God's perfect timing that he was using this last year to, in a sense, almost kind of catch me up and redeem the time but I would say the main hindrance was trying to do something do things for everybody else except for what God wanted me to do that really hinders the power of the church yeah it, that's that's one of the hindrances right there there 
everybody thinks they know what you're supposed to be doing and they're going to tell you what you what they think you're supposed to be doing and really what they're doing is they're crossing a boundary and and shutting up the gifts in other people it's you it's between you and god what your giftings are and how those are exercised and what other people should be doing is exhorting you and helping draw out those gifts and not directing you and telling you what you should be or what you shouldn't be. Right. That's 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 something that I hope that all of our listeners can hear because everybody, if you're saved, if you're not saved at this point in time, you have gifts that God has put in you. They're there. You have passions that are in you that are there. And that is what your calling in life is. Right there. Right. I think people can misinterpret if God's stirring a prophetic art in someone, it's, it's so much mis- misinterpretation. You can do it. You could despise it. You could miss it. People could criticize it. What does the Lord have to do with vampire books? You know, I can exactly. just hear it. Yeah. Oh, that loud rock and roll music. Right. You know, it's anything. And you could feel something um, that's moving you. It, it and It's one of these things that someone could do, write a novel like Danielle, they could write a song, they could do something, and they could really touch somebody's life. You know what I'm saying? You could you could have some young girl that hears what you're talking about, says, whoa, I felt like doing that, that doesn't touch the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. You know, this right. podcast, it'd be worth it all. I mean, what, what we do it for the money, I guess, right? <laughs> We're making mad stacks. I but, am. I don't know about okay. you. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting my fair share. No, but Danielle, it's really neat just to see as the Lord's just budding those things in you to be a, a prophetic artist and just uh, let your creativity and your intelligence and just let that stuff move and release it and have the boldness to release it yeah. and, and to to put it out there. So what you're doing takes courage. And I'm I don't know if you realize this or not. And I think I messaged it to you on Instagram. Just the little snippets that you write on social media are very profound and there have been days that those have ministered to me they've been at the at the right time and we take social media a lot of times for granted it's like oh somebody's just putting something up there but really a prophetic artist such as danielle i don't know if you realize you've been doing this but you can put something up and it actually ministers to somebody on instagram or on facebook whatever you post um, another quick question for you. Well, maybe not so quick, but it's it's a profound question. What is the in this writing process that you've been going through? What's the biggest thing that you've had revealed to you about God, and what's the biggest thing that you've had revealed to you about yourself? Good question. Ooh, Glenn. deep questions. <laughs> that is a very profound question. <laughs> I try. Um, I, can, I can make it in a nutshell and long at the same time but I can say in a nutshell that God is romancing me just like he's romancing everybody else in this world every single person who's listening God is romancing you he loves you Um, he has a plan for your life that's greater than you can even imagine Um, I can say that this time last year if I were to have said you know, I've pretty much, you know, I'm getting very close to finishing the manuscript for a book that I've had a vision for for seven years. I would be baffled and laughing because I was even last year, this time last year, I was in a very stuck place spiritually. Um, I, I didn't doubt Jesus. I was doubting a lot of things that were going on in my life. 
And when I started writing the book and getting serious about it, I came to this point where I was like, wait, I've had this vision for seven years that I, I just haven't done anything about it. I was like, I need to do this. I need to get up and do this. And God kind of met me in a place where I was at, um, where I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was in a spiritually strong place. I was in a horrible place spiritually. And God yet again saved me and just redeemed a love between me and Jesus that I had lost um, for about six years. I just felt like I had lost that romance and that love uh, with Jesus. And that's what God is trying to do through the book and through any calling that God has for your life. It's not supposed to be a duty. It's supposed to be a relationship. Mm. And it's supposed to be a love relationship, you know, between you and God. Um, so, yes, <laughs> it's Beautiful, a romance beautifully said. to romance. That is. And I like how you emphasize that um, when you started this, you were not on the spiritual uh, pinnacle of your life. Uh, that is something that Dan and I have learned, too, that most of the times when God uses us, we feel like a crusty old piece of bread and don't feel like yes. doing anything. And a lot of times, too, what we've learned, and you've probably noticed this as well, is when you're not even trying to do something, you're just putting your hand to do something because you want to be in that relationship with the Lord. You don't even realize a lot of times that he's actually using you in a lot of situations. Yeah, It's just really interesting and amazing how his spirit works so contrary to our uh, little box that we want to put it in and our little ideas of how it's the, the patterns that it's supposed to work in because it, it doesn't work that way. Well, I'm so glad that God is not OCD <laughs> and, um, you know, if he came in and really just started like slapping us around because it, you know, go all mommy dearest on us, you know, it's just not, it's so good to know that we have grace. It's so good to know that he knows every imperfection. He knows this and that, but the, on that worst day, you know, that's when he's probably just all over you, you yeah. know, right there. So Absolutely. I don't know. That's good. So, Danielle, when is, what are we looking at for a publication date for the book? Do you have any ideas yet? So, my personal goal, so I guess I can say, like, right now, <clears throat> where I am with the manuscript, um, to be honest, I, the drafting was awesome and easy. The editing is a whole other story. I was stuck for a couple months, um, but if you were to think about a book being like a body, I would say that it started out with the skeletons and it grew the muscles and the ligaments and right now it's growing skin that's binding it together so I'm writing the last couple scenes like I'm inserting scenes that I want to put to just kind of glue things together and then I'm editing and polishing things um, so my goal my personal goal is to have the manuscript like polish everything ready uh, and being sent out to literary agents by the end of October. And it would be my heart's desire and absolute dream to be able to, you know, get a book deal by the end of the year. Um, I do want to try to traditionally publish. I don't know why. I guess it's just a heart's desire of mine. I really want to see, yeah. like, my vision when I think about it is I'm like, I want to see the book, you know, at Barnes & Noble along with all the other books out there that are emanating darkness. I want to. I want it to. I want a young adult uh, 
girl to go in there, a preteen girl to go in there and see all these other books and then see mine. And it looks similar, but it has a like a draw to it. And she picks it up and she reads it and she finds the gospel. So that's, that's, that's my desire. That's, that's my goal. Yeah, there's lots of different ways that you can publish. Um, I went the self-publication route because my desire was a little bit different, was to get it out there as fast as I could um, and, and do that. There, there is no right way to do it. It's what God puts in your heart. There is no formula to do it. It's what God desires, and I don't regret publishing the way that I did. I might change that eventually, but it's been fine for me. The whole purpose of what I published wasn't to necessarily sell or make money. It was just to get a, get a message out that I wanted out. And that's something I want to emphasize to our listeners is that God's going to show you what different ways to do the same thing. And that's okay because he's got a different plan for it. And I look forward to walking into Barnes and Noble and seeing copies of the living dead girl there while I get my macchiato over at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> So what I want to do is help our listeners follow you. So for the month of May, we have made you the prophetic artist for the month on our website. And they can go check you out at lithoscry.com. We've got some stuff that's going to be up there for them to see. And to follow you on social media, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, On Instagram, you are the living dead girl, correct? The Living Dead Girl official. Official. Okay, there we go. Living Dead, and we'll have a link to that on our on our website. But what we'll do is we'll post that up there so that they can follow you on Instagram. And we're going to be checking in periodically throughout the uh, the rest of the year to see how the publication and the writing process is going. And once that book is out, we're going to be doing another interview with you on the, on the podcast to, to see what God's doing at that point in time in your life. But I really like how you were talking about just a second ago the writing process of the skeleton, then the sinews, then the, the then the flesh on top, and then it all together. As you see the Valley of Dry Bones spoken of in Ezekiel in that. The prophetic imagery, I really like that. That's really yes. cool. That's really cool. <laughs> Danielle, do you have anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we, we take off on this episode? Um, I just pray that every single person uh, pursue the God-given dream the dream that God has given on their heart. If any religion tells you that you can't pursue it or it makes you ashamed of it, I was actually for a season of time, I'm kind of sad to say this now, but I was actually ashamed of the idea of writing my book. Um, Pursue the God-given call on your life. Don't let religion hold you back. And then if any uh, uh, preteen girls are listening, you know, pursue Jesus. He loves you more than any other man will ever love you in your entire life. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm married now, and I'm like, I love my husband. I love our marriage. But I can honestly say Jesus loves me even more than my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's just how it is. I mean, that's just the truth. Um, no person or man or thing can love you more than Jesus. Thank you, Daniel. That was very well spoken. Yeah, thank you that very was, much. That was <laughs> It's just so exciting to have you on the Get Real podcast as you're in this process of pursuing a prophetic art. And I just pray that many lives are touched by what we've talked about here today. And that when that book is picked off up off the shelf at Barnes and Noble and opened up, that lives are touched and that souls are saved. And that's 
really what I'm getting from you in the purpose of why you're doing this. And may the Lord bless you and continue to bless you in what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. If anybody, thank you. Thank you, Danielle. If anybody wants to find out more about The Living Dead Girl, check, us, check it out at lithoscry.com on our Prophetic Artist of the Month for the month of May. Remember, kids, no Ouija boards. <laughs> Say no to Ouija boards. Yes, yes to lasagna. <laughs> and that's it for Get Real this, this Go Around. We'll be back real soon. <laughs>